You're listening to the Sojourn Church New Albany sermon series, Questions from God. This series will seek to answer the questions, what does God think about us given what we've done and what has been done to us? How does God respond to our sin and suffering? What is his posture towards us? And what does that mean for our posture towards each other? The answers we'll discover will reveal the character and heart of God to a people burdened by guilt and fatigue. Now, hear the word of the Lord from Genesis 3:11. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I command you not to eat? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, Sojourn. You may be seated. My name's Stephen. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here. Maybe. Here we go. This is going to be interesting. Hold on. Sorry. Anyway, hey guys, good morning. Uh, it's good to be with you. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, if, you've just, if you're just joining us, we've been going over uh, the first three questions that we have in Genesis that God asks Adam and Eve after they've eaten the fruit. And one of the things that we're trying to get around is this idea of when God comes to Adam and Eve that he's coming in anger, but actually that he's a good dad. And he's asking these questions because he loves them, and he has something for them in asking these questions. And if you think about it, like this is our experience as parents. Uh, If you're a parent, or if you've ever watched a video about parents on YouTube. Uh, I was looking about these videos of kids getting in trouble on YouTube, And it's hilarious. Like, seven out of ten of these videos are kids eating things they're not supposed to eat. And what's so funny is, like, the parents have their video out, and the kid's, like, hiding in the pantry. And the the parent knows right where they are, and they walk around the corner with the camera out. And what do they say? Hey, where are you? You know, it's just like, just what God says in Genesis, right? Where are you? Where are you? And there's like this like movement in the pantry and the shuffling and all this noise all of a sudden. And then they kind of open up the door and the kids just got like icing all over their face, you know. And they're like, what were you eating? And the kids like got a f- mouth full of icing like, mm-hmm. you know. And it's like, is that icing on your face? Nope. Uh-uh. Right? And that, in the same sense, that's us. Right? That's the same thing that God is coming to us, the same way that he came to Adam and Eve. And notice that the parent doesn't come in and they're not like, just stop eating. Right? That they're, they're inviting the child to kind of have a recognition of what's going on. And so we looked at these um, first questions that God asks. And the first one was just, where are you? Right? So it was, where are you at in life? And the invitation from God was to come be with me, be with me. And then we looked at the second question, which was what God asked when he asked Adam and Eve, who told you? Because they'd been lied to. And the invitation was to stop believing lies and believe my truth. And so lastly, we come to this week, which is, did you eat? And it's kind of a weird question because the first two are rather philosophical and high-minded. And these feel a bit more just guttural, you know, just simple. But if you think about it, this question of eating is so closely tied with desire that you see it throughout all of Scripture. And you also see it, and I don't know about you guys, but 
you see in our culture, and I grew up in Georgia, and eating was such an important part of relationships and desire that we had a single word to know something about how you felt according to your stomach. And that word was J-E-E-T, jeet. Because what would happen is you'd go into your grandma's house and she'd say, jeet yet? Right? Because what they want to know is like, hey, we can't have a relationship until your base desires are met. Until you're fed. I mean, we talk about it all the time. You know, the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. And what we're trying to say is there's desire there that has to be met. And so you see that just so clearly in Scripture saying there's this desire that has to be met. So what is it that you desire? And so what I want us to see this morning is God actually gave you good desires. And he wants to meet those because it's your good to have. And so here's, here's what we're going to Here's the main idea this morning is you're going to find your heart, your truest desires, your truest self, by dying to yourself and following Jesus. You're going to find your heart, your truest desires, your truest self, by dying to yourself and following Jesus. So I want to ask you three questions this morning, and we're going to answer those kind of in turn. The first one is, are my desires good? And I'm going to go ahead and tell you, yes, they are. Are my desires good? Yes, they are. Two, how do I get my desires met? By dying to yourself. And lastly, what even are my desires? And that's something I can't answer for you. So, whoop, we got me now? Sweet. So, with that being said, let's look at this first question. Are my desires good? So, let me just ask you, how do you feel about that? How do you feel about your desires? For the most part, when I start talking about my desires, it kind of makes me feel uneasy and kind of icky because I grew up hearing things like, your desires are bad. You are a sinful person, and anything you desire is bad. And they would quote Matthew 5, 9, which says, for 15, 9, which says, For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. And I would be told, see, that's what's in your heart. Do not trust your heart. Your desires are bad. That's what you want to do. You need to actually... If anything, do the opposite of your desires because your desires are bad. But the problem with that kind of theology is that it focuses so heavily on the effects of sin that it forgets the power and the effectiveness of the Holy Spirit living within you. So we're about to have a whole sermon series on Genesis 1 and 2, which talk about the goodness that God created in the world and the good desires that he put in us. So come back for that. But for this morning, I just want to read you two verses from Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5.17, which says, This means anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27, which says, I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So notice this morning that if you're a Christian, you have the Spirit of God living inside of you, giving you new, good desires. But notice what Satan does with Adam and Eve, even this morning, is that he takes those good desires and he twists them. He's like a parasite that takes something good and turns it into something evil. Because here's the thing, when Adam and Eve saw the fruit, what did Satan tempt them with? He said, you could eat it and be like God. 
And we look at that and we say, oh, see, that's so bad. You shouldn't want to be like God. That's arrogant. And the thing is, at the end of Matthew chapter 5, what does Jesus say? He says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. The call is to be like God. And we are called to be one in Christ. We are called to be like God, one with him. So that is not actually a bad desire. The desire to be like God is a good desire. We are created in his image. Here's the problem. They went about getting their desire the wrong way. Right? So notice what Satan says. He says, here's a good desire, but you could get it the wrong way. And this is us, right? We all have a desire for intimacy. We all have it. That's a great and wonderful desire. It is a lot of hard work. And Satan comes up and whispers in your ear, or you could just look at your phone. You could just look at porn. That's easier. You want peace in your life. That's a good, wonderful, God-given desire. It's called shalom. You want that in your life. It's good. And then all of a sudden, your kids start to scramble and scream. And you could say, you know, Satan says, just, just yell at them. Peace through superior firepower. Bring it down. And it's just easier that way, right? You could get peace that way. Or you want friendship. Friendship is a good Wonderful, godly desire. Hard work, though, right? And what does Satan come up and whisper in your ear? He's like, yeah, just tell them what they want to hear. Don't, 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 be, don't be honest with them about who you are. Just kind of put on a show and they'll like you. That's good enough. And so what I want you to see is that the desires are good. The ends are good. It's the means by which we get there. The shortcuts that we take. And the thing is, is you won't find your heart that way. As a matter of fact, that's going the opposite way. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. And so the question is, okay, well, if my desires are good, if they're really good, if God has moved, put his spirit in me to desire good things, what is the right way to go about getting them? And we learn that the way that I get my desires met is by dying to myself and following Jesus. So you find your heart, your truest desires, your truest self by dying to yourself and following Jesus. So think about it. How should I get my desires met? Well, first off, let's just talk about a big general desire. Let's just say we all want life, right? We want life to the full. That's what we all desire. We want to live full, good, satisfying life. And that's what Jesus said he came to give. Look at John 10, 10. He says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Okay, all right, Jesus, you've come so that I can have life, satisfying, good life. You can fulfill my desires. How do I go about getting that? And then he said to them, this is in Luke 9, 23 and 25, then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet lose or forfeit their very self? So to gain life, you have to put that parasite of sin to death. And the problem is that parasite of sin that convinces us those shortcuts and those byways are the right way to get life. It's so ingrained in us that when we don't go that way, it feels like dying. So, when you want that desire for intimacy, 
and your spouse is sitting there next to the couch and you've got your phone and the TV's on and your Netflix, you know, to put your phone down and to turn off the Netflix feels like dying. You're just like, do a... And sometimes when, when you have your kids and you just, you know, you can quiet the house with one loud, powerful word, and instead you get down on their level and you ask them a question, it feels like dying. And when you have that friend on Facebook who posts that dumb political thing that you have the perfect comeback for, that will totally roast them and make them feel this tall and let you know how awesome you are and everybody in the world's going to like it. And you just want to post it and you know you shouldn't. And so you shut your phone down, you close the laptop lid and you walk away. It feels like dying. And that's the call. The call is, is if you want to find life, you're going to have to pursue these paths that feel like dying. And here's what's so funny is it's not that when we go to sin is that we were just overwhelmed by these desires and that we couldn't stop ourselves. As a matter of fact, it seems to be the opposite, is that we didn't desire life strong enough, is that there was this good thing that I wanted and I was like, you know what, I'll settle for this over here. I'll settle for fake intimacy. I'll settle for fake friendship. I'll settle for fake peace. Because the, the, the real thing is just too hard to get. And this is how C.S. Lewis says it. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he not, cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. So, if you want to find life, if you want to find your heart, your desires, your truest self, you have to die to yourself and follow Jesus. It may feel like dying, but that is how you get out of the slums and go to the sea. That is how you find life. But now we come to a really hard question, which is, it's just tough for me to answer for you, is that God has created you specifically to find life by being with him, but he's created you specifically to find that life in a specific way for you that is different from everybody else, that you follow him in a way that he has called you, that he hasn't called anybody else to follow him that way. He has called you to follow him specifically. And that specific path for you is how you're going to find your desires. And the question is, well, what are those? And that's a really hard question to answer. Because here's the thing. Let's think about this. Like, what are your desires? What are your deepest longings? And for the most part, people are like, because here's the thing. Like, where, what do you want for lunch? And everybody's like, wow, oh, that's, mm. You know, I don't know. We got burgers, chicken. Uh, and if you can't figure out what you want for lunch, how do you expect to be able to think through, okay, this is what's going to make me feel like I know who I am, I know where I belong, and I know what my purpose in life is? Like, that's a hard question to answer. What are your deepest longings? And so I think we go about this in kind of a backwards way sometimes, is that we, we think if we could just step back and sit and think about it long enough, We'd figure it out. 
But the problem is the path from your head to your heart is a long, long road. And so sometimes I think it might be an easier path from your hands to your heart. So let's think about this. If maybe instead of trying to think our way to like what our truest desires, what if we could do our way to our truest desires? Okay, well, well what should I do? Right? What, what is my calling? Well, it's very simple. Jesus gave us a calling, and this is what we based our mission off as a church, and it's the Great Commission. And Jesus said, and he came to them, and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So that's what we've based our mission on here as a church. We reach people with the, go- the gospel, we build them up as the church, and we send them out into the world. Right? And God has gifted us as a church with spiritual gifts, with superpowers, to make sure that that mission happens. Right? So how do you find your truest self? Well, you go on mission with God. Now, here's the thing. You don't go on mission for God. God doesn't need you. He doesn't need you to accomplish anything. If he wanted to do this by himself, he totally could. This is an invitation to you. Do you want to be on mission with me? And if the answer is yes, I do, because what is the only thing that's going to satisfy you? Is being in the presence of God. So go on mission with him. Find out where he's working. Join him in that. And then it's like, well, but how do I specifically do that? Well, try using your spiritual gifts. Try, just try and experiment. Right, so what are they, right? So we've got administration, apostleship, discernment, evangelism, encouragement, faith, giving, helps, hospitality, knowledge, leadership, mercy, prophecy, healing, serving, speaking in tongues, teaching, sometimes known as shepherding, and wisdom. And and let me just say, like, I know some of you guys are like me, and you grew up in church, and you're like, I did my spiritual test survey, I tried it out, it was hospitality, I invited over people over my house, it was lame. Right? I don't like cleaning house. I don't like making my house. I'm not doing that again. Right? Or it's like it was teaching and I got up there and you realize like I am terrified of being in front of people. I don't want to do that. And it's like, well, maybe you got the, the, the survey wrong. Right? But here's the other thing is I think sometimes we think of this idea of laying our lives down and exercising our spiritual gifts like eating our vegetables. Right? It's like, oh, geez. Like I really want the good life. I want dessert right? And dessert is a comfortable life where I can sit at home and watch Netflix and have a lot of money, and God will give me that if I eat my vegetables. And so fine, I'll have a couple people over to my house, and we'll do that, and I'll teach a Bible study, and maybe I'll give some money to somebody, and then can I have it, God? Can I have the dessert now? Right? And what we've, we've missed is, is God is saying, no, I'm giving you life by doing this. This is a gift to you, right? And so it is vegetables in the sense but it's roasted sweet potatoes that are like butter when you put them in your mouth. And they've got a little bit of that sea salt and oil and rosemary on them, right? Or they're like that asparagus that I know some of you guys don't like. But, oh, man, if you, this is the thing. It's like asparagus with butter and some of those like button mushrooms. You know what I'm talking about? And here's the thing. Like you start to eat those things. And like I can remember that one time I sat down at a wedding and they were like, here is a spinach salad with like some sort of balsamic vinaigrette and like feta cheese and uh, craisins. And I was like, what? This is, I hate all of those things. And somebody was like, no, you should try that. And I was like, man, I really hate that. And he's like, no, I'm telling you, try it. Holy smokes. It was so good. 
And the thing is, that is exactly the life that God has called us to. It's, it feels like dying to stick your fork in the feta and the cheese, and you're like, I'm not going to like this. And then you eat it, and you're like, whoa, what was I thinking? I'm an idiot. And that is the call. The call is to enjoy life. The call is to enjoy this mission. And I think this is what G.K. Chesterton, he said is like this, and this is the thing. It says, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and left untried. And so I, I want you to understand this morning, I just want you to see that God wants you to find your heart. He wants to satisfy your desires. That's why he came to Adam and Eve. You think about like, if they had been left alone with the knowledge of good and evil and then the tree of life, they wouldn't have died and they would have lived as dead zombies for eternity. And God is coming to them and gently stopping them and saying, no, 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 you, we can't allow this. I want, I want so much better for you. You can't be here anymore. We're going to have to find a way to redeem you and get rid of that sin. And as a matter of fact, I've got that plan in place and I'm sending my son to come to the rescue and he's going to deal with this. And I think, and I honestly think our problem is not so much with this idea of dying to ourselves as much as it is thinking that God doesn't like us. He couldn't possibly love me. He couldn't possibly want me to do these things because he likes me and he loves me. No, like he comes to curse me. Anytime he shows up, there's a curse coming. Anytime I go to him, there's a problem. And we just can't believe that God would love you for no reason other than he enjoys it. Ephesians 1 says that he does all of these things for his good pleasure. Like he actually enjoys loving you. He enjoys lavishing his love on you. He is so deeply infatuated with you. He wants to see your desires made, like come to life. And so he prepares this beautiful meal for us and he says, come and eat. And we're like, that feels like death. And he's saying, yeah, I know, it's really hard. Come to the table. He's saying, come out of the pantry. Wipe the icing off your face. And enjoy the good food I've prepared for you because I love you. And so this morning, I, I don't want you to follow your heart. I want you to find it. So... Go serve. Go give your money away. Go invite people over to your house who can't give you anything back. Go die to yourself. And you will find life. You will find your heart. You will find your truest desires. You will find your truest self by laying down your life and following Jesus. And what's so great is that when we do this, we find ourselves in the presence of God, the thing that our souls long for the most. And he says, I love you. I'm so glad we're together. Jeet yet? So, and we remind ourselves this morning that he's satisfied our deepest desires, our basis, our, our most core desires, again, with food. We remind ourselves every week, on the night that he was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So again, I just want to remind you this morning, don't follow your heart, go find it. And you will find your heart, your truest desires, your truest self, by laying down your life and following Jesus. So, you guys have a cup in front of you, and I invite you to now take off the lid. And remember that, take that piece of bread and eat it, and remind yourself that God gave his body, his life, so that you could have life. If he loved you so much that he would give his son, how much more is he not going to hold out anything else that's good? Thank you for listening. Keep in touch with Sojourn New Albany on Facebook or download the free Sojourn Collective app for iPhone or Android where you can see our full library of sermon series audio and video, discussion questions, event calendar, ministries, and much more.